0: Say so thank you to Steve for leading in our music and Stephen in our prayer and Chris behind the scenes today and helping uh, us deliver this uh, this service to you. You know, in this time of social distancing, it's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? To be distant and yet social. Um, it's strange. Uh, it's challenging, no doubt, uh, but it's remedied somewhat. And I'm thankful to God because of technology and to be able to bring. Uh, such elements of worship like this to you through Facebook Live, through a video. For many, uh, this is a time that resembles more of a fantasy book or a movie, Uh, not real life, yet we know we are plunged into this as a reality right now. And the writer of our Bible passage today, he he too was socially distanced uh, from the people who were important to him. Uh, During that time, he uh, received a wonderful reminder of God's majesty and the promises of God. And when all else is confusing, God is consistent and God is the one who holds the future. That is really the message for today, that God holds the future. And beloved, I pray that that is well and true and resonates in your heart because of the faithfulness If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Revelation, the book of Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading from verse 9. We're going to read several other passages, so keep your Bible handy and uh, hear this verse. The Bible says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Did you catch it? John was socially distanced from the people who were important to him. Just like you have been socially distanced from many of the people and the relationships that are important to you. Likely John, the writer of the book of Revelation, <clears throat> he was one of the twelve uh, many scholars believe he likely was a son, he was a brother like many of you are today. Tradition tells us that John became the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And at some point he was exiled to the small island called Patmos, which is not far from the city of Ephesus, uh, just off the coast of modern day Turkey. Not unlike uh, Alcatraz, might be just off of the coast of San Francisco, very close Uh, Revelation 1.9, it says that he was there, John himself says, he was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Because of some sort of persecution uh, and penalty, because of his faith, he had been removed from the social relationships that were so important to him. You see, the Roman government of the first century, they had at least two main solutions to keep people from stirring things up from their perspective. One was execution. And Romans weren't uh, shy to execute people that they thought were troublemakers. But they had a second solution, and that was exile. And it was not uncommon in the Roman days of the first century for people to be exiled, to put distance between the person that they thought was a problem and the people that they feared they might influence. And John, he was separated from those he loved. He longed to be together with them. But during this particular moment of crisis, of anxiety, of being distanced from those he loved, God reveals to him what we now have as the book of Revelation. Through odd images, to be sure, and through strange symbols, no doubt, that the book of Revelation is filled with. Here is what is central to this book. Number one is God's throne, the throne of God. The presence of God, the power of God, the majesty of God, the ability of God to rule even through chaotic seasons, and the ability of God to hold the future in the very palm of His hand. The throne of God is the enduring image of this entire book. And out of that is the the ongoing faithfulness of God is highlighted. The throne of God and the faithfulness of God are highlighted through the book of Revelation. When the book was written, likely, we think uh, perhaps in the 90s of the first century, it's been about 60 years since Jesus uh, had ascended back to heaven. Jesus had promised before he went back to heaven that he would come back and he would take those to be with him, but he has not returned. Six decades have passed, and he's not yet returned. And The people were likely saying that we expected Jesus to return sooner we thought it might even be during our lifetime. There are people who have been part of our church fellowship who are dying and Jesus has not returned. We are getting older and grayer in hair. And yet Jesus seems to be delayed. He promised that nothing has happened yet. Should we continue to trust what he said was an enduring question for the people of the day? Does God really love me? Am I loved? Are we loved by God? Is there still reason to hope in the future? And John's answer to those questions is a resounding yes. Yes, because God has the future. Yes, because God has the future. The first chapters of this book, God speaks through John to seven churches. Seven very real churches and very real cities ...of the first century churches that uh, there's a map that you'll see on your screen now. And these were churches that uh, were situated in what we now know as Turkey. And if you were to get in a car today uh, and go on a road trip, you would almost make a circle hitting all of these various cities as you went through visiting each one. The people in these churches were struggling. They were struggling with deep questions... They were struggling in a culture that had tremendous pressure bearing down on them. They were pressured to think and to act like the prevailing culture around them. They they were feeling questions about worship and maybe it was better to worship in the ways of others around them. What was growing in their time was what was known as emperor worship, worshiping the emperor of Rome. In fact, it was likely during the writing of this book that the emperor domitian was on the throne in rome and uh, he he insisted on people referring to him as our lord and god this was the time and the day when these people lived in fact by the end of the first century every one of the seven cities the seven churches where these uh, the cities where these churches were located every one of them had become Official centers for the worship of the emperor. And the question that was uh, emerging over in their hearts again, in their minds, is Is there real hope for the future? Jesus promised to return, yet he's delayed. Emperor worship is growing. Social pressure is bearing down on us. Is there a reason to hope for the future? And the book of Revelation is given to us so that we would, with John and with God, say, Yes. There is hope for the future because God has the future. Say it with me, would you? God has the future. God has your future as well. God has the future of this moment of history as well. Some of the churches, it might help us to understand, were not unlike uh, in the cities where they they resided. These cities were not unlike uh, cities of our day today. In fact, the The church of Ephesus is mentioned uh, in chapters 2 and 3. The churches are mentioned in the cities where they were located. Ephesus, this was John's home church. It was the fourth largest city of the Roman Empire. And as with all large cities, there were a lot of businesses that were headquartered in, in Ephesus. It was kind of like a county seat where uh, civic government happened. The courthouse was located there, and, and a lot of things happened politically. Uh, there was a massive temple uh, to Artemis, which was located there. In fact, this temple was so large, it was twice the size the size of the Parthenon in Athens. In fact, it was considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the ancient world. Uh, this was the city of Ephesus. Smyrna is another city mentioned in this book. It was a harbor city and it was renowned for its beauty. And they claimed, like a lot of cities today will claim a favorite son or daughter, they claimed Homer to have been born in the city of Smyrna. We know Homer is the ancient author of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Pergamum is another city mentioned. It was a quintessential university town. It was known for its intellectuals and its library uh, in the middle of its town. It had a 40-foot statue to Zeus, the Greek god. And it was a main center for the emperor worship. Laodicea, as another city mentioned, it was famous for its medical school and the Romans and their great ability to practice medicine. It also was a, a major banking center Not unlike San Francisco has been, and now I believe Charlotte, North Carolina, has become quite a a major banking center. But the believers who lived in these cities and worshipped in these churches, they had major challenges. We've already talked about those. But some of these believers were losing their enthusiasm to follow Jesus. They were scared. They were worried about the future. They were unsettled. By the events of their day. Just like I reckon many of you feel unsettled and scared and worried about the events of our day today. Our world is unsettled. Many are filled with anxiety. Maybe you felt it. Maybe you thought it. That a sense of hope for the future is fading. That you're scared about the prospects of health and financial concerns and uh, the routines that have become so familiar and comfortable and and add so much stability to your life have now been removed for a season. Can we still hope for our future? The answer is the same as it was for John, the same for these believers of the first century, the same that boils up and uh, rises to the top of this book, and the answer is yes, yes. You know why? Because God has the future. Do you believe that this morning? That God has the future. Even if you can't see what the future is, and you can't. Even if you don't know what the future holds, can you believe and trust God that He does hold the future? If you were to turn to Revelation chapter 4, after describing the churches and Uh, Some of the praise that those churches got. Some of the critique that those churches received. The the scene shifts to the throne room of God. Remember I said that the book of Revelation, the enduring images of the throne of God and the faithfulness of God. In chapter 4, we read these verses. Uh, John says, after this, I looked. And there before me was a door standing open to heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet, it said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircling the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, And seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and this is what they say, "You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you, by your will, They were created and they have their being. Remember, this is the predominant image of the book of Revelation, the throne of God. In the Old Testament, if you're to read through the book of Revelation this week, the Old Testament is your best friend and guide for understanding the book of Revelation. In this chapter particularly, it's the the chapters of Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah chapter 6 that you'll find so much of this imagery already shared in the scripture, but picture with me what John shares here the, this image of the throne room of God, and it is a magnificent picture. Uh, there is a rainbow encircling the throne that hearkens us back to the promise of God. There's lightning and peals of thunder. If you've ever sat through a thunderstorm or grew up in places where thunderstorms rolled through, you know the awesome raw power of thunder and lightning. And that is what this throne is described as. These peals of thunder. And and then these these, uh, elders and these creatures that surrounded the throne, uh, but on the throne. All of that is happening because of who is on the throne. And it's a reminder about who is in charge. That's the question. Who is in charge? Who has the future? You tell me. It is God, right? God has the future. Even when times are confusing, you might ask? Yes. Even when times are difficult, you might ask? Yes. Even when times are painful, is God still in charge? Yes. Does God hold you and carry you into his future? If you've given your life and love to Jesus, the answer is yes. Who was there when things began? God. Who will be there when things come to an end? God. Those who worship this heavenly scene, they were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Who's the one who has made promises that He has always kept and always will keep God? Who will judge evil and offer the gift of righteousness through the work of Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross? It is God. Those worshiping, In this heavenly scene, they describe how worthy the one who sits on the throne is. You see, because God holds the future, there is a day that God has promised that is coming, that He and His good timing will come, and He will restore everything that has been broken. He will cure every disease. He will wipe away every tear every heart broken because of relational strife and a distance because of death, it will be no more. Everything that is soured in this world will be made fresh and vibrant and alive again because God holds the future. And this is what I want to end with this morning is the closing image of God out of this same book of Revelation chapter 21. In verse 3 through 5, here's the end of the story and why you today can put your hope in the strong, abiding, future-holding presence of God. Here are the words of Scripture. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Friend, brother and sister, this is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That though we know that the bitter taste of a broken world in which we live, a world not as God intended it, but a world that God is going to make right, fully right again one day, and you can hope and rest in God's hope today by placing your trust and your love into the hands of Jesus, by confessing your sin to Him today, by inviting Him into your life and putting Him as the centerpiece of your life, letting Him and His presence on the throne be in the centerpiece of your life so that the dominant image of the book of Revelation, the throne of God, might also become the dominant image of your life where you begin to live a life to please and honor the King, King Jesus, who died for you Who loved you so much that he would give himself so that you too can have the promise of God's future held out for you. If you don't know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus, I'd like to invite you to make contact with the church. Uh, You can email uh, Butler.tbc at gmail.com and I'd love to begin a conversation with you this week. As we conclude our time together today, we'd like to sing a song called Revelation Song that captures some of the imagery out of chapter 4 in the throne room of God, sets it to music, and may your heart be stirred as you sing this song back to the living God, the God who holds the future in His hands.